one and a half Halloween special. <laughs> I am your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host. Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, they can find us on Twitter and TikTok at the Area51H, as well as Instagram under the Area51H. And you can also find us on Twitch by going to twitch.tv forward slash the Area51H. Nick Favorite time of year has arrived. Yes, Halloween. I love me some Halloween. So do I. And you know, it, there's so much about Halloween that is iconic and legendary and has, has infiltrated into pop culture. When you look at movies like Halloween, which we have discussed many times yes. here, it's just a fun time of year for everybody to be a little bit spooky. It is. Um, I've always gravitated towards Halloween, mainly because I love supernatural stuff. I love supernatural movies. I love supernatural stories, books, the whole bit, comic books, video games. I gravitate towards that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's partially why I love Halloween. I love the the idea of Savain. I love the idea of the the veil between the living and the dead being thin and all that. It's just, it's it seems like a very magical point of the year for me akin to say christmas but on a different level and it's just it it gets the imagination going and at the end of the day candy yeah all the candy and you know it's really interesting too because you had pronounced sawin the way that you pronounce it in scotland yeah and it's so it's so different in those british isles how differently it's pronounced and of course america always pronounces Sam it samhain yes but no matter how you pronounce it, it is Halloween, derived from All Hallows Eve. The spooky night of the year. I love it. Again, I've told you the reasons I do love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's also, it has a look to it. And it's, this year for me, because of how the, the season has been, how the weather has been, it's looked more like Halloween this year than it has the past several yeah. years. And there's a scientific reason for that too. The conditions were perfect to give us this in North America anyway, this brilliant display of autumn leaves. Well that's the thing. Like I was I was driving down the street the other day, looking around and think, this really looks like the setting of Hocus Pocus and I am loving it. Yeah, I mean, the, everything about Halloween is iconic. You have your witches, you have your vampires, you have your black bats, you've got your black cats, you've got the jack-o'-lantern itself. Mm -hmm. What is more iconic than a jack-o'-lantern for Halloween? And that's fair. That's fair. Like, it's... I love... You know, I used to love carving pumpkins when I was a kid. Although now I'm in dull, I just... I find it to be a pain, but <laughs> I hate the cleanup. I hate the cleanup. If you get the right pumpkin, it's not that bad. That's true. That's now, true. one iconic thing that we associate with Halloween, and we see it in horror movies, is the haunted house. Yes. But it's interesting because there is a certain look to the haunted house. There is a mm -hmm. certain style that has permeated from like the early 1900s. Till now. That very gothic style. It's actually a Victorian, Victorian style. style. It's well, a gothic look. Yeah. It, it Well, it does look like that. And Aliens, what we're talking about is basically the house from Psycho. The Bates house above the, the motel. That is the classic style for the haunted house within Hollywood, within paintings, yeah. within 60s iconography and graphics. And you can see how it has influenced... The, the houses in movies. I yeah. mean, one, one of my favorite examples is actually from Halloween. In the first Halloween movie, when we see the Myers house, it just looks like a normal house. But in Halloween 4 and 5, they clearly got it renovated between then and now then because it looks like a haunted house. Well, so it's really neat. They tore it down and built a whole new house. It's like a, <laughs> a three-story. That's the, But we're not here to talk about the Halloween movies. We've talked about them enough. But that certainly is one of the issues that you have in terms of continuity with that series yeah. but let me tell you a little bit of history about this victorian haunted house now as i mentioned this is the style of the house that we see in psycho yeah it's also the style of the house that the adams family lives in yes you know so what 
makes this the iconic look for Hollywood, for illustrators, for all of that, is the fact that there was an extraordinary amount of wealth in America at one time prior to the Depression, prior to certain downtimes. And if you had a million dollars, say, back in 1900, that would be like having maybe a billion dollars now. Yeah. I'm not doing the math right. Don't come for me. I'm just making a point about how much wealth went a lot further back then. So they would construct these beautiful, massive houses mm -hmm. with a certain style. And the, the more rooms you had indicated the more wealth you had. And it was very fashionable to have servants to look after cleaning these, these huge foyers that were only there to be the grand entrance of the house. So what happens, though, is that because these things were always put out as sort of the epitome of wealth, the epitome of style, the epitome of, of the American dream, is that wealth fades. Wealth doesn't go quite as far as it used to. And the upkeep of these homes were extraordinary. I bet. And they couldn't do it. So nobody could afford to buy them. So they just kind of sat there. And they were abandoned, and they were boarded up, and cobwebs grew, and they fell into disrepair, and they got dilapidated, and they started to look like they were haunted. Yeah, makes And sense. so this became America's vision of the haunted house. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I just think it's, it's a spectacular rich history that we really don't have the time to go into in depth here. But look it up, aliens, look it up. It is so much fun to, to see this. And you see it in cartoons. You see it everywhere, you know, from the 1930s onwards. And yeah. which is probably why Charles Adams chose that look to be the Adams family's mansion. Well, I mean, if you look at it, if you look at these houses being built in the late 1800s, early 1900s, about the 30s is when they would start to look really, really, really run down. So that does make a ton of sense. Well, aliens, as we said, it is the Halloween season, and this is our Halloween special. And it wouldn't be much of a Halloween special, Nick, if we didn't have somebody that was connected to the horror genre. I would agree with that. It's always good to have someone on who can talk about it. So I reached out to my friend, John Miori, who has been a zombie in, John, what is it, over 100 movies? <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's 100, but I have lost count. I would say it's probably <laughs> over 25. <laughs> and I think the biggest one was the uh, remake of Dawn of the Dead, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but you, we're not here to talk about John being a zombie. I mean, that's that's old news to me. That's old hat to me. John, you have had some mighty fine success, I understand, with a sequel to one of your uh, um, movies, Ouija Shark 2. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, uh, Ouija Shark 2 opened uh, for the first time in Japan uh, on August 4th. And um, it's not even set to come out here on DVD and streaming until 2023, but the distributor that owns the rights to the movie there decided that the movie had legs for a theatrical release so it's now played i think four times in tokyo one time in sapporo uh in kobe uh in i i'm, I'm sorry if i'm saying this wrong i think it's a hemi uh district a prefect pardon me a hemi prefect and it just seems like there's no stopping it. Every time we sell out, I, I don't. They love it over there. I wonder if it's a tie into like the old kaiju movies, you know, Godzilla, Gamera, that kind of thing. Is is that maybe uh, why they're loving it so much? Do you think that might be because there are definitely some kaiju elements to my own movie, but it's also they have a culture around shark movies they they seem to love them it doesn't matter how cheesy they are doesn't matter <laughs> how cheap they are they they have a, a a love for them 
and mine is falls in that micro budget you know cheaper movie category but we put a lot of love into it and they seem to have picked up on it being just i don't know maybe a little bit more special than some of the others that are kicking around out there well, there certainly is a love for this type of movie. I mean, even when you look at some of the stuff that Bruce Campbell has done, like um, Bubba Hotep, you know, I mean, that was not done on a huge budget. I think most of the budget went to to pay for, for him and, uh, oh, I'm, it's escaping me who was in it with him, Ozzie Davis. I think that most of the budget went to their paychecks. Yeah, it, it could be. I, I In the case of this movie, most of the budget went into the movie, you know, so... Uh, that's not saying much. It was a very small micro budget, but uh, you know we put it all out there. That's that's what we wanted to do. Well, this is Ouija Shark too. So, uh, have they seen Ouija Shark? <laughs> yes. Yeah, they definitely did. And uh, again, there's some love for it, and there's some you know talk about how cheesy and cheap it is because I mean you know that's that happens a lot with these kind of movies. So um, I, I think there was some anticipation for the second one. And I'm happy to say that many of them feel that, you know, the second one is, you know, more fun than the first one. So, you know, that, that's a big win, I think. Yeah. And that's what a sequel should be. It should be as good, if not better than the one that came before it. Sure. And, you know, I, what I love about these type of movies, though, John, is that it's it's fun for a rainy afternoon when you've got nothing else to do except hang out with your buddy and just enjoy something for the pure enjoyment of it. Absolutely. And, and you have to know, as someone that makes these kind of movies, I make them because I like them. I'm not making them for a, a quick buck or anything like that. I, I really enjoy these movies. I, I was watching a, a cheesy shark movie about a half an hour before we started this conversation. <laughs> so it's just I the got, way I, it is. I got to ask, which one was that? <laughs> it was Shark Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was I was doing a little research into some of these. There's one out there called Jurassic Shark. Yes. Yes. There's 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 one out called uh, Santa Jaws, which I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that um, one I don't know about. The other one I know about. Now, John, th there's a lot of merchandise coming out um, with with Ouija Shark Two here in uh, in Japan as well, isn't there? Well, for for whatever reason between um, the movie hitting the right chord, I guess. And um, I, I've done a lot of um, promotion to help forward what's happening over there in Japan. And for whatever reason, they started doing merchandise. And, and they're actually very clever with how they do merchandise because they do things like, if you buy a t-shirt, we'll put your name in a special end roll at the end of the movie. And then people oh, are like, okay. well, I want a t-shirt and I want to be in the end roll. And <laughs> yeah, then, absolutely. And, and, then they, and then they do things like uh, you, when you come to the movie, we'll give you a special Ushiwa, which is like a fan that has you know, the mystic shield on one side and, uh, and me on the other side. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, and so they, they, they have this amazing approach to marketing where they give out a lot of free things and that attracts people but they also sell a lot of things like um, they have mystic shield pen lights they have uh, little access statues of of me they I mean it's it, now in the newest one uh, the one that's coming out at uh, at Kobe in the next month they actually made cardboard masks of me with the eyes poked out. So everyone, everyone that comes to the theater is going to have this goofy mask of me. <laughs> and I've, I've already asked fans, just, you know, don't, just don't go rob a bank after, you know? <laughs> how, how surreal is that for you? Like to have merchandise with your face on it, literally your face. It's, it's really unexpected. It's really like, who would have thought? I mean, this is a little micro-budget movie. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm glad it's getting any attention at all, but to see it getting that kind of attention is kind of, you know, 
jaw-dropping, really. Now, tell us the plot of Ouija Shark 2. <laughs> okay, well, at the end of Ouija Shark, uh, I died. I, I was uh, devoured by the shark, and my soul went to some kind of heavenly realm where I fought the shark once again, and there was a big explosion, and we both disappeared. And that was kind of the end of the last movie. At the beginning of this movie, we have uh, uh, that I've actually gone to hell, and I'm in hell still hunting the shark. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, uh, my ex-wife is searching for me and still trying to find my daughter, who has also gone missing. So that's that's the basic opening of the movie. And then action and hilarity ensues from there. Yeah, there's a lot of hilarity. In, in <laughs> fact, that's I, I think that's one of the things that it was funny at uh, when I when I spoke with the executive producer about making this movie. I said I'd like to do a lot of a lot more intentional comedy uh, in this one, and he wasn't sure I should do that. He said, "Ah, just keep it keep it serious, and you know they'll find the humor in it themselves." And I went, "I don't know. I I kind of." I got this feeling that we should go a little funnier, and I I did, and I, I'm glad to see that the audiences seem to like it. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's paying off. Sounds, you've got good instincts, obviously. You've done this for uh, how many years? You've been uh, doing these kind of movies now. Uh, I think the first one that I directed myself was 2014. So yeah, eight years, I guess. Yeah, and of course, before that, uh, as we mentioned, you were doing the, all the zombie stuff. Now, how did you get into just being a zombie and, and getting into making these movies? Well, the zombie thing was kind of just accidental. I happened to be uh, working as a background actor, and I did um, maybe four movies that just happened to arrive in our area um, that were all zombie movies. And then... Once I got on on set, I always, you know, I do my best to, you know, push to the front, ham it up, get, you know, do whatever I have to do to be seen. Exactly. <laughs> Stand know, out. I, I mean, that's I, that's just that's just in me. Right. I, uh, uh, another um, actor that I worked with uh, uh, on set used to call me ham sandwich. And <laughs> That's the way it goes. You know, you just, you got to live those roles, I guess. But uh, eventually what happened was um, I saw that this was a fun thing to do and, and that it was working out nicely. And I ended up doing a big convention in Indianapolis because of it. And then I started looking for zombie work uh, outside of my area. Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I got to tell you, doing these things is a lot of fun. I remember uh, when I saw that you were playing The Shape in Massacre at Femur Creek and that Kyle was uh, looking for people to uh, produce the thing. I, I immediately opened up my wallet for that because I thought, I have got to support John, you know, doing these kind of things. And it was a lot of fun to come to Hamilton and, and go into... Uh, I think it's what it's called the staircase or the stairwell or something like that. Yes, the staircase. Yes. Yeah. And watch the movie and see my name up there with your name as like one of the producers. It was, you know, I don't think people understand the joy of that. You yes. know, it's, it's again, it's one of those things where you just go, wow. You know, you're, it's, it's so exciting. Even when it's just, you know, let's say it's a small budget thing or a short or whatever it, it doesn't matter. It's just so exciting and fun. And in this day and age, because of the way technology has moved forward, a lot more people can realize their dreams around this sort of thing. And that, that's that's just, you know, awesome. Yeah. Will there be a Ouija Shark 3? Um, my guess is yes. Um, there's there's um, certainly enough interest in this movie it hasn't even been released in north america yet and it's already you know it's it's got a really good review from someone that saw it at paris shark fest um so i mean the 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 
the noise out of Europe was good. The noise out of Japan was good. Yeah, I, I, I would say there'll be a third one. Sounds like it's almost the year of the indie horror movie. I mean, uh, yeah. when you look at Terrifier 2 as an example, it's doing gangbusters uh, in, in the States with a limited release. Yeah, that one's, that one's like a, a real huge success story. I mean, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a budget of, you know, I don't know, one one fiftieth of whatever they have, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's a small budget. Um, but it really does show, you know, like back in the old days with, uh, with Rocky, right. And in, in 1976, Rocky was made for a million dollars. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they didn't even want Stallone. They wanted Robert Redford or Paul Newman. And, uh, you know, <laughs> somehow the movie came out and, and, and look where that went. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I look think... at Terrifier 2 as a success story of that kind, of that level even. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing that people don't understand really you can do a lot with a little like if you look at the rob zombie movies he his budgets are not huge uh he has admitted that they're not they're not large which is you know partly why some of the criticism i think he gets about casting his friends and his his wife but it's like well you know you got to save somewhere right but he does amazing work with i think small budgets so you know uh, a small budget to me sometimes isn't an excuse for making a bad movie yeah, no, I don't think it is either. In fact, um, in some of the films that I watch, some of the indie films that I watch, uh, there's there's such uh, such a great amount of stock footage that they use because you know there are all kinds of sites now where you can buy really nice looking stock footage cheap, and yep. and so you know some of these indie films are just loaded with with stock footage and and drone fit footage not that they that they shot but that they bought and uh you know it's like come on if you just shot it yourself probably would have been better <laughs> <laughs> theoretically cheaper too <laughs> so we're, we're uh, yeah. so happy that we just shark 2 is doing so well for you john what's next for you i am almost finished uh, the next movie that I've written and directed, it's a supernatural dinosaur movie. Yes! <laughs> you just checked off all the boxes for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm literally waiting on one or two uh, scenes to be finished, and then uh, it goes to Mike Treblecock, who's doing the music, and... Um, and then it'll, you know, make its way off to the distributor. So I, I can't say the title right now. In fact, the title's changed a few times over the last few months. But uh, I'm really happy with it. We made this one post-COVID. So, you know, there's a lot more interaction amongst, amongst actors than... <laughs> yeah, Ouija Shark 2 is a lot of fun. But there's a lot of actors who were shot in isolation because of COVID. Right. That makes so sense. This, this particular movie, it's been great having people together. We, we had, there's a seance scene in this movie. I can tell you this, there's a seance scene in this new movie and all the main characters are in one place. And I was so excited to have <laughs> them all there, you know, cause I hadn't been able to do that for so long. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. The the last thing I did on stage, I, I agreed to do it because my part, I always wanted to play one of those science fiction scientists from like a 1950s, 60s movie. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And so I got to do that <laughs> role. But the, the deal was that, you know, because I was observing cockroaches of all things, the people playing the cockroaches were over on one side and I was just kind of over on the other and I didn't have to interact with them. And I thought, yeah, okay, I can do this. <laughs> you, know? you had me at people playing cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. John, it's been so much fun talking to you. It's, it's been too long since we've actually seen each other in person, so I hope we can do that soon. 
Yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Area 51 and landing your craft on our landing pad. Anything you want to say to the, our aliens before we let you go? Well, let's see. The, the only other quick news that I can tell you is that uh, um, that uh, massacre at Femur Creek that you spoke of as a short is currently in production as a feature film. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, let's let's hope that, you know, I'm not sure if we're doing any more work on it this year. It might have to go into next year, but that's that's something also to look forward to. Yeah, and, and, you I know, thought... Kyle's a, a pretty good filmmaker as far as that goes. I mean, I was really impressed when I saw the actual final uh, short of Massacre at Femur Creek. It had the humor. It had good acting in it. Uh, it. It was just a nice homage to those 80s slashers. Yeah. And I guess lastly, I should say, you know, happy Halloween to everyone that's listening. All right. Thank you for joining us, John. And you're welcome here anytime. Thank you, John. Thank you. Nick, this is always the hardest part of the show when we have to say goodbye to some celebrities that have passed away. It is. Starting with Leslie Jordan. Now, Leslie Jordan was one of those um, really great little character actors. Mm -hmm. He found his fame later in life. He was on TV shows from Reba, uh, American Horror Story, lately Call Me Cat. Now that's going to be tough to, to replace him because whenever an actor passes away unexpectedly yeah. in a series, it kind of throws the whole series off. And it was really um, a heck of a thing, uh, what his, his passing, because like the outpour from all the celebrities on social media was huge. Well, yeah, he seemed like a delightful little man. Yeah, it seems like he was friends with everybody, well, like, I, literally. And, and I think he was. Um, I think he was just a, a friendly person. I, I'd never met him, so I don't know. But he, he just kind of struck me as somebody who was just living his life. He was having fun. He was okay with poking fun at himself. And I'm sure he's going to be missed by colleagues and fans alike. I'm sure. Also, Jules Bass passed away. Now, if you don't know who Jules Bass is, you're not really paying attention. <laughs> He's not exactly a celebrity per se, but he is the creator of all of those wonderful stop-motion animated holiday specials that we watch, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, and he's part of the Rankin Bass. He is the Bass. So if you don't know who he is, at the end of the day, he is still a fairly important part of the childhood of a lot of people. Of generations yeah. and holidays. And we're actually going to be discussing that later on in the season when yep. we get uh, closer to Christmas. Also, rocker Jerry Lee Lewis passed away. Now, ironically... He passed away about two or four days. I wasn't sure what I read. About two or four days after a rumor that he had passed away was going around. Isn't that always the way? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's sad to lose these uh, people in the industry, especially when none of them were expected. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis, he created some really, well, I mean, he created one of the most iconic songs of all time with uh, great balls of fire yeah and he had the biopic about him yeah yeah so that that's that does come as a bit of a shock but yeah he will be missed as well yeah anyway on that note it is time for nick's roundup <laughs> all right john on the roundup this week we are going to talk about henry cavill yay and I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you the meme that I saw earlier. So it was a scene from Avengers where Thanos has done the snap. <laughs> I saw this meme. And little Gamora says, Did you get Henry Cavill back as Superman? Yes. And what did it cost you? Henry Cavill as Geralt. Oh. So I'm happy to have Henry Cavill back as Superman. I am really happy to have Henry Cavill back as Superman. I think he's the best since Christopher Reeve. But I am not okay trading in Henry Cavill for Liam Hemsworth for The Witcher. That is not okay, Netflix. If you're going to trade him in for a Hemsworth, trade him in for Chris. <laughs> because, no. But, oh man. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited to have him back as Superman. I am really unhappy he's leaving The Witcher because he makes that show Question, for Question, why does he have to trade it in? Probably because... Scheduling conflicts? It's going to be scheduling conflicts because Warner Brothers has probably 
looped him into a really extensive contract because they are they're trying to get these DC movies back on track. And everybody, I mean, I, I remember earlier I talked about the reaction uh, during the Black Adam panel at, at San Diego Comic Con when Dwayne Johnson made mention that he probably would not be going toe to toe with Henry Cavill's Superman, and the crowd booed him. Yeah. I think that Warner... I mean, good for Henry Cavill. He has probably leveraged a ton of money off of this. So good for him. But at the end of the day, it still saddens me because he makes The Witcher. As long as they give me a decent Superman story. Yep. Yep. And I think that will come. Um, Regardless of your thoughts of Zack Snyder, he probably will not be involved going forward. And we will probably see something a little bit different than Man of Steel. Good. Okay. So, moving on. Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall is coming back to acting after a 20-year absence. Really? She is, yeah. she's. Uh, I think she's 73 now. And she is returning to the horror genre. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, I, I've always had a very soft spot in my heart for Shelley Duvall because I grew up watching the Mother Goose sh- uh, TV show when I was a kid. Right. Those movies. Um, I grew up on the Popeye movie. And of course, The Shining is one of my favorite horror films. And she is, she went through hell for that for that movie, absolutely. But she pulls one of the greatest per- horror performances of all time. Yeah, in she that and film. Jack Nicholson work really well together. Yeah, so I'm excited to see her back, and I will definitely be checking her out when she does come back. You know what was neat about that Mother Goose series? What? I because she was friends with Jack Nicholson, Robin Williams, yes. and a bunch of others. Yeah, she yeah. was able to get them to come in. And one of the greatest things for me was listening to Jack Nicholson tell the story of, uh, I don't know what the story is called, but it's the story of the camel. And hearing Jack Nicholson say, and the camel went humph. (laughs) Uh, I loved that as a kid. It was so good. And uh, finally, because we can't go an episode without mentioning something Marvel, Disney Plus is going ahead with a TV show based on Vision. Okay. So, there it is. So, would it be a television event? Get out the recording booth. <laughs> you can leave now. We're done. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a television event. So, yeah, he'll be back, presumably as the white vision that we saw at the end of WandaVision. And I'm, I'm going to assume, because I, I honestly thought we'd wind up getting a vision film instead. I'm going to assume that it kind of follows that version of vision um trying to find his humanity which which you know i like those type of stories when you have a ai intelligence trying to figure out his humanity data style from star trek you know yeah now i'm not speaking for everybody on this by by all means i'm not but there are a few of us who are just kind of like okay we're getting a little bored with this i don't really want to have to watch all of these shows to know what's going on in a movie and as we've called it phase bore well, there's the thing, John. Um, there's already... So, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That has, looks good. It looks good. It has premiered, and the critics are going nuts about it. They're, they're saying it's Marvel's best film in years. Probably since uh, since Endgame. I'm going to go and, out on a limb and say they're probably right on yeah. that. Well, I mean, they have so much to live up to with that film. And I'm so excited to see it. I'm excited to see... Um, Namor. Yeah. I am so into that. And I'm excited to see what they do without Chadwick Boseman. I love Chadwick Boseman. I loved him in that film. I loved him in, what was it, 21 Bridges? Um, absolutely. I, I think he's a good actor. I, th- I think he was a great actor. And there's a lot to live up to with that. I'll tell you a movie to see that um, proves that Chadwick Boseman was a great actor. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. He got nominated posthumously for, I think, Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor. I forget which. But he was nominated for an Oscar for his role in that movie. It's fantastic to watch him. Yeah. And it's so different because he's really the villain of the piece. So it's interesting to watch him be that kind of uh, anti or uh, antagonist. 
Well, and that's the thing. Okay, so I haven't seen that, but looking at T'Challa and looking at the character he played in 21 Bridges, those are vastly different characters. Like, a lot of actors, and we've talked about this before, you look at actors like Tom Cruise, for example, they have Tom Cruise-isms. They have stock emotions and stock facials yeah. that they throw into their characters. The character he played in 21 Bridges versus the character he, that versus T'Challa, completely different. At a point, I was like, oh, right, I'm watching Chadwick Boseman, who is famous for playing Black Panther. Because yeah. it just, it, 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 he, it slipped away from me who I was watching. I just got so embroiled in this character and in this story. And I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not a big action movie fan, but that was one of the ones I really enjoyed. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting too because sometimes we want that out of an actor. We want them to be their isms, whatever they are. Jack Nicholson comes to mind. Exactly. But the difference with Jack Nicholson versus, say, somebody like Tom Cruise that is pretty much Tom Cruise all the way across. And that's fine. We like that, especially in the biggest movie this year of Maverick. It's perfect. It works. Mm -hmm. But the difference between Jack Nicholson and all of those other kind of actors that do the isms is when you see a movie like The Crossing Guard or you see a movie um, like um, uh, About Schmidt where Jack Nicholson isn't being Jack Nicholson, you sit there and you go, aha, Yes, I get it. I see it. I see why he is a legend actor. Well, and, and there's the thing, though. I, like, I truly believe that Jack Nicholson was born to play mentally deranged, mentally ill characters. Uh, and Tom Cruise was born to play cocky jackasses. Um, <laughs> well, but, but, the, the, they, but lovable they, jackasses. Yes, yeah. But, like, that's the thing. Like, the only, the only Jack Nicholson role that ever took me out was The Departed because he did that that Boston accent and it just sounded really off. So there is that. And but, he chewed up the scenery and was a little over the top. Well, yeah. It takes a special director and I guess Martin Scorsese, isn't it? But anyway, Oh, whatever. he may have said, "Good, no, go for it. Go for it, Jack. Reach oh. for the stars and... and uh, Do your thing. Take things a little bit out of the movie. Speaking of movies, Nick, and again, it is our Halloween special. So... We are going to now talk about some of the most iconic specials and movies to recommend for our aliens to watch this spooky season. Well, I mean, we can start this list off without mentioning it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah, now, but interesting thing, younger generations aren't as enamored with the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, as we are. I guess not. I mean, so at the end of the day... Part of that reason is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown is now... Um, it's over 50 years old. Well, it's over 50 year old, years old, but it's also only on Apple+. Plus. I know, it's not accessible. You can't, you can't find it. It's not, it just doesn't play on television every Halloween anymore. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that any network made, because it was always on CBS, mm -hmm. was uh, not continuing those rights for Charlie Brown. I agree with that. I, mean, I agree with that completely. Something like Charlie Brown does not belong on streaming. It belongs to the masses. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I remember being a kid, and um, I can't rem remember the name of the one where he goes to camp. I think it's like Run Charlie Brown Run or something like that. But that would be on Saturday afternoon every so often on live right. TV, and I would watch that and enjoy it. I always enjoyed Peanuts. I always thought the uh, the cartoons were a ton of fun. I loved the characters. I love Snoopy. Everybody loves Snoopy. Yeah. But... You're right. Like they'd made that um, that CGI film several years back. It didn't do that great. I think No, but it's a good movie. I've seen it. Is it is it a really good movie. If you enjoy Charlie Brown and you like the Peanuts, I suggest you watch that movie. It's fantastic. I'll give it a shot. But yeah, as far as it goes, it, I do think the younger generation is not really into Charlie Brown anymore, which is kind of sad, but at the end of the day, I can kind of get it as well. Well, Charlie Brown has kind of disappeared with the exception of... Snoopy. Well, no, but with the exception of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown Christmas. Because there used to be like a Valentine's special, a Thanksgiving special, an Easter special, and there was all the peanuts. Yeah. And they've all just gone the way that a lot of these Rankin-Bass cartoons have gone. Yeah. Just into the, into the ether. Yep. So, Nick... Uh, if you're going to recommend a movie that isn't Michael Myers in the Halloween series. Trick or treat. 
Yes. Let's talk about trick-or-treat for just a hot minute here. Without hesitation, trick-or-treat. Anytime somebody asks me, my, my friend Andrew called me the other night, um, and he asked me to recommend three movies based around Halloween. First one, trick-or-treat. Yeah. Because I love that film, and it, it looks... It looks like a Nickelodeon Halloween special gone horribly wrong, but right at the same time. Because it has that kind of... There's certain parts, especially in the beginning, where it has that kind of small set television feel to it. Yeah. And it looks it looks like something you'd see on Nickelodeon or the Family Channel or Disney Channel. Well, it looks better than that, in my opinion, because... I know that it was shot with the idea to be on the big screen, but yeah. it didn't make it for whatever reason. It is playing in limited runs. I saw that. Not here where we are, of course. Darn it. But, I mean, this this is just a fantastic thing. You know I love that scene between uh, Dylan Baker as the uh, school's principal and his son. I love that line. That is fantastic. It is hilarious. I love Brian Cox in this. Oh, Brian Cox is amazing in this. Like, honestly, I, I, I think that they are wonderful bookends to the anthology uh-huh. with Anna Paquin's character picking up the, the the slack in the middle. I get what you're talking about with the Nickelodeon special because that's when we're going around with Rhonda and the, yes. the group there that, yeah. that ties into the school bus children. I, I, I shouldn't say that it looks like that, but it has that feel, but a much more darker adult version of yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, the I, I don't know the actress's name, but the girl that played the antagonist, Marcy, who for some reason, I don't know what it is, she wants to play a joke on Rhonda who is uh, autistic for whatever reason it's very it's kind of cruel and but she plays the part beautifully because you just sit there and you go yeah this is an itch with a b for sure yeah you know and she's going to grow up to that and of course like the other two kids kind of go along with it because they don't really feel like they have a choice because Marcy's the leader here. Yeah, and she's then, the queen bee. Yeah, and then like the the hunky boyfriend or whatever, he's like, listen, why are we doing this, you know? And he, he sees that Rhonda's a sweet gal and a nice gal, and she did all these incredible pumpkins. But it's such a wonderful moment uh, in that. And, of course, Sam. Sam. Played by Quinn Lord. Oh my God, Sam. I don't know how old Quinn Lord was when he played Sam, but he played it so perfectly. I know. And it's, it's for, for me, it's, I, I think it's harder for an actor to act behind a mask because there's a lot that they have to convey emotionally from a body sense, right? Yeah, the way he holds his body, the way he looks, even the little gasps that he does, you yeah. know, when something goes wrong that he is not a fan of. Yeah. Um, and Sam has become kind of iconic himself in the, in the terms of Halloween. Off one movie. Off of one movie. And honestly, it's probably one of the more perfect scary movies out there. Yeah, because it, it, the thing of it is it has enough scares in it, but it's, it's targeted to the right audience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. A, a hardcore horror fan's going to enjoy it. An older horror fan's going to enjoy it. Teenagers are going to enjoy it. Yeah. And even casual people who are not that into horror movies are going to find something they like in this. I would think so. And it is beautiful. And all oh, the, the way all, it's shot. And all the John Carpenter Easter eggs that yes. are in there. Like the school bus passes Christine on the, yeah. the side of the, the road. I mean, that, you know, is how you do John Carpenter Easter eggs right. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Not just one of my favorite scary films. It's actually one of my favorite films of all time. I love Trick or Treat. I love Sam. I got a little Sam action figure on my Halloween display right now. And I... So, and this is where I'm stuck. Would love to see a sequel, but also don't want to see a sequel. But that's a conversation yeah, for another time, yeah, right? I, yeah, because, I mean, I was kind of worried when Hocus Pocus 2 came out. Uh, one, because it wasn't going into theaters. Yeah. Disney doesn't seem to be wanting to put any of their stuff into theaters anymore. They just kind of seem to want to hold us prisoner to Disney+. Plus. I was worried at first that it wouldn't be as good because they had like 30 years to play with it. But they did well. So, But I still have mixed feelings about that because Hocus Pocus was such a cult kind of thing and rich in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Do you now lose something with there being Hocus Pocus 2? Yeah, and I know we discussed that earlier, but 
the anticipation of waiting for Hocus Pocus 2 is no longer there. Right. And I don't think people are going to be clamoring as hard for Hocus Pocus 3. I hope that they don't do a Hocus Pocus 3. I think they ended it well. It's a nice little bookend. Leave it be. Uh, next movie I want to recommend, for years and years and years, before we had Michael Myers, uh, one of the staples of Halloween was The Headless Horseman. Yes. Sleepy Hollow. Now, there's two Sleepy Hollow movies I recommend. One isn't really a movie. It's uh, played... It's from Disney. Yeah. Uh, and that's the Ichabod Crane, the tales of Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane. So it's... Um, I think it's... Uh, Mr. Toad and Ichabod Crane yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah. is the title of the, the DVD. Or, but you can find it all on Disney+. Plus. That is such a wonderful cartoon. And Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, where oh he God. actually pays homage to that cartoon. So let me first say this. My first exposure to the Headless Horseman story was actually that Disney movie. Right. And I didn't I think it was everybody's. I didn't realize that it was some old folk tale. Yeah. I just thought it was a story that Disney came up with. And then I looked into it more. I'm like, this is cool. I love this story. And in the special features of Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, you see Christina Ricci talking about this, about uh, not only is it a ghost story, but it's America's fairy tales, along with Paul Bunyan and Rip Van Winkle and those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So Sleepy Hollow is, and I've been to Sleepy Hollow. It's a it's a really neat place, but um, you know these are American folk stories and fairy mm-hmm. tales, and to see that one just really resonates, I think, with a lot of people because of its nice tie into to Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the Tim Burton film is. I'm just trying to think. Is it my favorite Tim Burton film? I think it is. Yeah. Because it, it, the way he shot it, and they he he integrates that very spooky look in the in the houses that we you know kind of what we talked about earlier with. He recreated a Hammer horror film. Yeah, exactly. And which is probably why I like it because I love Hammer. Yeah, but I mean that that's his influence, right? I mean that's why you saw Christopher Lee and Michael Goff. And, uh, you know, Vincent Price in a lot of his movies because that was his influence. And one of my favorite things, the, the emperor himself, Ian McDermott was in it as yeah. well. And I'm like, that's awesome because I've never seen Ian McDermott in but Star Wars. But I digress. Um, I love it. I love I love the fact it was Christopher Walken as a headless horse. I, I love the movements. Yeah. When the headless horseman is running around without his head on, I love the movements he makes because it reminded me very much of... Um, Kane Hodder yeah. from the Friday the 13th series when he played Jason. The very stark, very sudden movements. Yeah, and you have that beautiful score by Danny Elfman as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And of course, Christina Ricci is just fantastic, so whatever. Yeah, and she was uh, pretty early, I, I say early in her career. Uh, she really wasn't. She, she was, was known. She was known she because was early she played into her adult career. Yeah, because she had played Wednesday and yeah. that really had put her up there in the Adams family. Um, but she had also done Casper. She had done yep. uh, uh, Mermaids. Yeah. Then, uh, then and now, a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. And I've, I, I've again, soft spot. Always had a soft spot for Christina Ricci because I love Adam's Family. I love Casper. I love those movies I saw her in as a kid. Um, and I've grown up. She's only a couple years older than me, so I've grown up right beside her yeah. and watched her grow. And yeah, she's... now that that's a movie that we could recommend. Fun for the whole family, Casper. Casper, absolutely. Uh, the only problem with Casper is I feel like Casper is now becoming dated, especially in that scene where they uh, spoof Poltergeist, and the face keeps changing, and yeah. it's actors that aren't really. Um, known now or hot now or whatever you've got Clint Eastwood you've got Mel Gibson you've got the Crypt Keeper who as much as I love the Crypt Keeper has been out of um, off television yeah. for a couple decades no but I think kids now would look at uh, Mel Gibson and uh, Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood and sit there and go who are these guys exactly um, and there, like, there's one reference um, in it that I just went I don't the character was familiar, but I still didn't get it. But it was the the priest who came out. I was like, "Piece of cake, piece of piece of crumb cake." I know that guy's from Saturday Night Live or something like that. 
but I can't place them. And I, I was a kid when this movie came out. It was just one of those jokes that went over my head. Yeah. But still, overall, it's a fun little flick for Halloween. And, of course, it takes place at Halloween. Yeah. And I love the Ghostly Trio. Always have. I think they are <laughs> hilarious. I love Stinky. He is the best. Um, another, another movie, not necessarily a Halloween movie, but a movie that I do love to watch at Halloween. I mean, I love to watch it anytime, but I will watch it on repeat during October and November is Ghostbusters. Right. Absolutely adore Ghostbusters. As you know, as everybody else who's listened to us knows, I love Ghostbusters. Um, actually just going to give a quick uh, shout out to my brother right now. He's, uh, he bought a hearse and he has turned it into his own Ectomobile, which is really cool. And he's uh, driving around to different cons in Scotland dressed as the Ghostbusters. But I, I'll often watch the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 together. Yeah. And even though Ghostbusters 2 takes place during Christmas time, I still like watching it during Halloween because Ghostbusters does have that Halloween feel to yeah. it. And it's just a lot of fun. Now, I'm going to recommend that people pick up, they go old school with this. You can't go wrong with a Hammer horror film, but you also can't go wrong with the original Universal Monsters. Right. With Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., Boris Karloff, with these iconic monsters that dominated Halloween until probably about mid-70s uh, when Michael Myers starts appearing yeah. and we get into modern horror. Frankenstein is probably, or the Frankenstein monster and Dracula particularly, are probably two of the biggest monsters that still endure in the Halloween season. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't go into a, uh, a Halloween decoration section of a department store and not see facsimiles of Dracula. And those not specific see... looks too. Yeah, yeah. Those, the, the Bela Lugosi and the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. You can't go in there without seeing them. Now, for me, it's always been um, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Mummy. Those those are the three that I identify with the Universal monsters the most. Right. Um, and actually, really, what's really cool right now is leading up to Halloween, NECA has released a bunch of Ninja Turtles figures, which are all done up to look like Universal monsters. Oh, so that's Ra cool. Raphael is Frankenstein. I can't remember which one's Dracula, but. Uh, Splinter is Van Helsing. Nice. Uh, um, Michelangelo is the mummy. Donatello, I think, is the invisible man. It's really... Oh, April's the Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> Just absolutely wonderful stuff. I love that. I I need to get some of them because they're amazing. But, yeah. Um, going off of Universal Monsters into another movie, though, that I would suggest for Halloween. Monster Squad. Absolutely. You can't I, you can't get through the Halloween season without watching Monster Squad. Wolfman's got nards. It's it's so amazing because it basically takes the premise of the Goonies and smashes it together with the Universal Monsters, and that's your movie. It's so Scooby Doo in a way, too. Oh, it is. You know? It absolutely is. I I love it. And it was actually you suggested it to me to watch. Yeah. I had I didn't see it as a kid. It's so much fun. Yeah, I didn't see it until like my late twenties, and I sat there and I'm like, why did I never watch this? This is brilliant. It's a it's a wonderful companion piece to the Goonies. It's a wonderful Halloween film. And yeah, and basically family friendly. Once your kids start to get a little bit older, yeah, I would say it's more for a, a, a preteen, early teenager yeah. type movie. Yeah, and of course, for the parents to watch it. As yeah, well. I'm not going to go in depth with these ones, but you know, just to throw it out there, there's Monster House, there's Paranorman, uh, and love yeah, House. and and there's there's Frank and Weenie for like kids to watch yeah. that that are are lots of fun, um, and of course, any Vincent Price movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, I would go ahead and say that Vincent Price is basically synonymous with Halloween, at oh, least a certain generation. For years, for years, he was the face of Halloween. Absolutely. You know him, and then Elvira came along, yeah. and she became the face of Halloween, and uh, and they were friends. They actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, funny story that Cassandra Peterson tells about that actually is that Vincent Price's wife was concerned about uh, the friendship there, and then when she realized that you know Vincent Price was loyal to to her and was not going to run off with Elvira, she warmed up more to Cassandra Peterson. 
But I can understand that. I, I can too. I can understand her. They're thinking like, "Am I going to lose my my husband to this younger stacked woman?" <laughs> like, especially because yeah. they have all this stuff in common. And uh, speaking of Elvira, another movie to suggest is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, another great movie to watch during Halloween. Again, I don't think it takes place during Halloween, but the movie doesn't need to take no, place. No, it doesn't. Halloween. It doesn't need to because the it it pushes. All the right buttons. It is a little bit more adult. There is some, a lot of uh, sexual humor in there. Yeah, of course. So I, I do not recommend it necessarily for your young ones. Even though I watched it as a young one. But yeah, <laughs> but we know that you're special and different. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> one not... more, one more movie I'm going to recommend, and one that does not take place at Halloween, but I think is very synonymous with it, with the title of it, with the subject matter of it, with the monster of it, and that's Pumpkinhead. Yes, absolutely. Um, I love Pumpkinhead. The I... witch in Pumpkinhead. This Haggis. Living out there on the swamp, and Harley goes out to see her. Uh, Ed Harley, I mean, he yeah. goes out to see her, and just, it's such a heart-wrenching movie that I would companion this actually with Pet Cemetery. I yeah yeah you know I was actually listening to another podcast uh, talking about how the, dare you I know right, um, but they were talking about Pumpkinhead and for some of them it was their first watch and they talked about how um, Lance Henriksen was basically on like just on high level yeah. with this film because he just poured everything yeah. he put into it. If you remember when we met him at Niagara Falls Comic Con, we had that conversation yeah. with him about um, you know, the the loss of of a young son, an innocent loss, the idea of reve getting revenge on the people that took cuz for Ed Harley, the only thing he had was his son. Exactly, and that was that was um telegraphed throughout the entire first 20 minutes of that film. Yeah. That boy was his life. And that little boy, I, I don't know the actor's name, he did a fantastic job at, in, in playing yeah. the son. Yeah. The only thing that, that's wrong with Pumpkinhead right now is the fact that it is numerous, numerous years old, so the fashion of the teenagers doesn't look great anymore. But Stan Winston did such a good job with this movie, it still, to me, stands up so well it does stand up very well and honestly i'll i can excuse the fashion of the teenagers is definitely a movie of its time and it looks like it because it's got that grain to it and it's got that grit to it and it really feels even watching it right now it just feels like a period piece yeah because it, it's it's a snapshot of the very early 90s yeah and you have these douchebag kids who are like the the the, the one leader and this is something that, that was brought up to me is that He's he's this bad boy character, but he doesn't have a leg to stand on. Like no, like people are like watching the movie. Tell me why these other kids are scared of this boy. Yeah, he goes and rips the the phone out of the wall, and nobody's like, "Why did you do that?" I was just like, "Oh, okay. well, no," because as, <clears throat> as you recall, he rips the phone out of the wall and then beats the other guy with it. He beat he beats the other guy with a log. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he has like everybody had, he has nothing over anybody else in that group. They could have just circle beat him and it would have been fine. But whatever, that's the only gripe I really have with that movie. The monster design in Pumpkinhead is one of the best designed monsters I have ever seen in a film. End of story. It is scary. It is off-putting. It's gross-looking. And, I mean, like, the thing is, is when I first sat down to watch Pumpkinhead, I didn't know what that monster looked like. And you kind of think from the title, oh, it's a it's a late 80s, early 90s slasher fic with a, with a guy running around with a pumpkin on his yeah. head. Nope. It is whatever the hell that demon is. And it's wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and again, the, the makeup job on Haggis and the performance and the set design and the lighting design and all the cinematography that goes into Pumpkinhead is just just glorious. The the scares are intense and the atmosphere is so, so thick. Yeah, and I'm going to mention a movie that I, I tied it in with Pumpkinhead, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Yes. First of all, you have Fred Gwynn as Judd. Fred Gwynn played Herman Munster mm -hmm. originally in The Munsters. 
does a spectacular job playing Judd. And just for having... I'm surprised he wasn't nominated for Best Supporting Actor, actually. That's surprising to me as well. And that's the thing, having Fred Gwynn in there, that gives it that Halloween pedigree. It, it, automatically having him there gives it that Halloween feel. And it's one of the scariest stories Stephen King has written, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's just really one of the scariest movies. I mentioned earlier, Zelda, to my generation, was frightening. You know, and the, the fact that uh, Stephen King offed a toddler and all the church, you know, the cat comes back first. And then, you know, Judd says, you know, this is kind of what happened. I was why I hesitated telling you about this. Yeah. And you kind of want to reach through and smack Judd for telling him yep. about this. But that's why Judd winds up getting killed because he messed with things that he shouldn't have messed with and he he let that secret out and let's let's talk about that for a second because we've just mentioned two legitimately scary atmospheric films and they both revolve around the grief of losing a child yeah which is honestly one of for a parent is one of the scariest possible things it's the biggest horror you could possibly yeah come and i think um with Pumpkinhead dealing with that and the and uh, Pet Sam- the way Pet Cemetery deals with it, it they, they dealt with it in a way that made it real, but they didn't take it in a tasteless way. Right. And it works very well. Right. From a story standpoint. And one last movie, because we, we kind of have to mention a Halloween movie. I'm right. not going to mention the original Halloween. That goes without saying. But I'm going to recommend Halloween 2018. Okay. On its own. On its own. Yeah, never mind the, the rest of the trilogy. On its own. It was nice to see Michael Myers back. I thought they told a great story with that. The betrayal of Sartain. The way it's shot. The beautiful way that Michael starts moving through the town and just in and out of people's homes. It's 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 scary. It's frightening. It's what you want Michael Myers to be. I'm going to mention one last thing. Not a movie, though. This is actually a TV series. And that is the Chucky TV series. So... Overall, the first season of Chucky has a very Halloweenish feel to it, and they also do a Halloween special as well, where they very much emphasize the the holiday. But the way it starts and the way it continues, like it starts in the fall, and you got all the fallen leaves, yeah, all that stuff. It has a very Halloween look to it, and at the end of the day, <laughs> Chucky just fits Honestly, so well. That's what I'm missing right now. I'm missing the idea of these Halloween specials because they're not on anymore. Nobody's putting them out anymore. You're lucky if a TV show, a sitcom does a Halloween episode these days. Well, I mean, that was always something to look forward to. And the thing is, like, I remember the good, I remember the bad, I remember the ugly. The Paul Lind Halloween special. So... <laughs> No, you you have to understand, this thing had very little to do with Halloween. But then he like winds up talking to Billy Hayes and uh, why uh, Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West and Witchy Poo, and he has Kiss on there. <laughs> and but none of none of the rest of the special really had a whole lot to do with Halloween. But any, anyway, I they there used to be all of these kind of neat Halloween specials, and now if you want to see anything even remotely Halloween, it seems like you have to go to the Food Work Food Network and watch another Bake Off or well, outrageous pumpkin carving. And there's the thing: it's not like we okay. So S- Stranger Things did a season that took place during Halloween. Great, mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, but for the most part, with these streaming streaming shows, you're not going to get a Halloween. Special because a lot of them drop on the same day. Right. Um, Disney Plus a little bit different. We did get a Halloween episode of One Division. That was great, I guess. But for the most part, we're not getting that but, type of thing, and it's kind of. But sad. only because it served the narrative. Yeah. Not because they they were moving through. Like one of the best, they always did it. Home Improvement always had great Halloween yes. episodes. Roseanne always had great Halloween episodes. I miss those kind of things. And I, I miss, honestly, I miss uh, the, the days of Family Channel when I was a kid when they would play, as as much as the movie is a piece of crap, they would play Mr. Boogity. <laughs> and Brian Boogity. I would, I would enjoy that movie because it was silly and goofy and I liked it. And they would play um, Something Wicked This Way Comes. and That a, is a great movie. Yeah, it is. And a bunch of others. And I, I miss those days. I'll tell you, I, I was showed my mom some old Halloween cartoons that she had never seen. I, I showed her Garfield's Halloween, which is 
a seminal one. I don't know why they don't play it anymore. It's all kinds of fun. And yeah, I remember Garfield's Halloween. Yeah, especially when he's like, candy, candy, candy. It's it's kind of a fun one. But then I showed her one that I don't know if if Theater Giesel had to pay a bill or what the deal was, but they did this really bad cartoon Halloween is Grinch Night. It's, oh, great. It is spectacularly awful. The only good thing about it is that, uh, yeah, at this point, Boris Karloff had passed away. The only good thing about it is they got uh, voice actor and character actor Hans Conried to play the Grinch, and it works well as the voice of the Grinch, but it's like, no, keep him over here at Christmas. This was a mistake. That's why nobody plays it anymore. And on that note, aliens, that is all the time we have for our Halloween special of Area 51 and a half. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us that isn't through seance. Ouija board? Ouija board! All right, so you can find us on social media at the Area 51H. That is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the area 51h and don't forget to rate us follow us like us and share us with all your friends all your ghouls all your demons and goblins and all that stuff yes and thank you once again to john miori for joining us here on our landing pad and aliens we will see you in two weeks happy Happy halloween